The talk this evening is on inner vision. If each one of us is to realize and fulfill our potential as an individual, then it is essential that we hold within ourselves a deep sense of inner vision. If we are going to transcend the somewhat obvious limitations of mentality, of conditioning, of personality, then it's essential that we hold within ourselves clearly a vision of what our potential as an individual, as a man, as a woman is. Inner vision is acknowledging the actuality that each one of us has the potential to be fully free, fully whole inwardly. Inner vision is acknowledging that each one of us has the potential to be a fully clear, loving, caring person. And inner vision is also acknowledging and trusting in the fact that each one of us has the potential to know the end of suffering, the end of conflict in our lives. That inner vision is an expression of deep inner trust and confidence. It is that kind of vision within ourselves that allows us to see with perspective the whole field of mentality, of conditioning and personality, instead of being overwhelmed or overpowered by them. The clearer that that sense of vision is within us is also the degree that we live in the spirit of freedom. Rather than in the spirit of limitation or restriction where we subscribe to mentality, to personality, mentality, as being the reality, the truth of who we are as a person. And in subscribing to that, subscribing also to a life of limitation, a life not where there is spaciousness and freedom, but a life instead where we define ourselves by our limited, descriptions and definitions that we come to believe in. A person who has little trust, little faith or inner vision also finds it extremely difficult to transcend or overcome the problems and limitations that seem to arise within from the mind, from conditioning, from personality. And yet, sadly, many people find themselves at different times in their lives feeling to be lacking in that inner vision and instead find themselves lost in the relative, lost in mentality, lost in personality, lost in conditioning and find themselves defining and describing themselves by what appears superficially within the mind. 
For some people, their sense of vision, their sense of inner potential is undermined. Undermined by a past accumulation of negative feedback, undermined by a lack of acceptance by others. And through that, internalizing that feedback, through internalizing that lack of acceptance, come to see themselves as being limited, as being restricted, and believing in that. If there is a lack of inner vision, and when that is accompanied by dissatisfaction, by discontent in our lives, there tends to be a manufacturing of ideals, of fantasies, of images. There are probably few people who are free from a sense of discontent, a sense of dissatisfaction or something lacking in some area of their lives. Dissatisfaction with one's job, dissatisfaction with one's lifestyle, dissatisfaction with one's relationship. Often, when there is that dissatisfaction or feeling of discontent within our lives, when there is conflict or when there is suffering, there often arises out of that a longing to be different, a longing for our lives to be different, a longing for ourselves to be different than we are in the moment. Often a person may feel that they just wish that they could get out of what may seem to be a dull or mechanical life. At times a person may feel that they wish that they could be free of ruts and patterns that they see repeating themselves with such frequency in the mind. And often there is a feeling within ourselves that comes up very strongly at times, particularly in times of discontent or conflict, that our lives could be more full, more meaningful, more rich than they are. There's often a feeling that perhaps we as an individual have really not realized our potential to its fullest. And yet, if there is a lack of inner vision and trust, it also becomes increasingly difficult to bring about real change, to bring about the kind of change that is needed inwardly and outwardly that will bring an end to the discontent. And when that is lacking, then those areas in our lives that seem to be a source of dissatisfaction, those areas in our lives, whether they are outwardly or inwardly, that seem to be a source of pain or discontent, can come to seem like a prison to us. And they tend to be blamed for feelings of conflict. They tend to be blamed for feelings of dissatisfaction. And we don't always appreciate fully that there really isn't anything in the world or in the mind that can create the same kind of prison for us 
that a lack of inner vision does. That there isn't anything in our relationships, our jobs, our lifestyles that can create the same sense of limitation that a lack of inner trust can do for us. We may find, at times in our lives, somewhat longing for an ideal existence and formulating pictures or images of what that ideal existence would mean to us. Often those pictures are formulated on the basis of desires or wishes that we haven't been able to fulfill in our lives. Often those pictures of an ideal existence are based upon images that have been fed to us through the media or through idealizing existences of other people. And so often the ideal existence is somewhat represented by having or being able to have an ideal relationship, an ideal job, an ideal lifestyle. And it's often fantasized that if we had all of that, then we would in some way also have an ideal mind and find perhaps the kind of happiness or contentment that we wish for in our lives. A problem arises, a difficulty arises, in that there is often such a gap, such a separation between our ideals, our wishes, and our actualities. Our ideals are often so far removed from what we actually are experiencing within ourselves and within our lives. And that distance, that gap, can create a tremendous amount of frustration. If we see things repeating themselves in our mind or in our lives that we wish to be free from, and yet also find ourselves unable or feeling powerless to be free from them, and a frustration can so easily turn into apathy or indifference, or turn into an increased amount of resentment that we direct towards those areas that seem to be a source of conflict. So often, so frequently, ideals are formulated because of dissatisfaction, because we perceive imperfection either outwardly in our lives or inwardly within ourselves. And on the basis of that perception, we formulate a desire to change, a desire to be different than who we are. And with that, the pictures, the ideals of what we want to change into, what we need to become, what we need to modify or alter either inwardly or outwardly, to free ourselves of discontent. And at times people say that ideals, to hold ideals within ourselves, is very necessary. And it may be true at times in our lives that ideals have been motivating, have been a source of energy, a source of change. At times people say that it's necessary to have ideals that if we didn't have them, there wouldn't be any growth, there wouldn't be any change or progress. But we don't always recognize the limitations of holding onto 
those ideals within ourselves. Don't necessarily acknowledge that at times ideals are nothing more than ideas, an intellectual dance or exercise. That at times as holding on to ideals is simply to compensate for dissatisfaction. And at times there is not necessarily such a great difference between our ideals and fantasy. And the clinging to ideals at times in our lives can also be incredibly undermining as long as those ideals are unfulfilled. Because as long as we are focused on the need to be different, the desire to be different than who we are, the desire to alter or change or modify our lives, it increases the difficulty of actually dealing with what is actual in the present. Instead, we may find ourselves rejecting actuality and clinging to something that exists only as a projection. There is a, a vast difference between clinging to an ideal and acknowledging a clear sense of inner vision. When we look at what an ideal is, at times the ideal is nothing more than a projection which is bound in time. A projection of the mind which is filled with all the should-be's and could-be's and would-be's that we may hold over ourselves. And if we look at any time in our lives when we are actually pursuing an ideal or caught up in a fantasy of some ideal we wish to fulfill, then in that so frequently our attention is focused on changing the world around us. That it may seem that the fulfillment of that idea, which the object of supposedly is to bring us happy, happiness, is dependent upon changing our lifestyles, changing our jobs, changing our relationships. Or we find ourselves looking to the future, that happiness in our lives or contentment or serenity will arrive at some future time when we manage to fulfill these desires, wishes, which at this moment in our lives are unfulfilled. Sometimes we do manage to get what we want. Sometimes we do manage to achieve an unfulfilled wish or an ideal. We've all experienced that. And yet how much lasting happiness, how much lasting contentment does it actually give? So often there is a brief respite, a brief alleviation, until we find ourselves again compelled to go after yet one more thing, yet one more unfulfilled wish because our projections are based upon our feelings and our feelings are constantly changing. A deep sense of inner vision is not an ideal. Holding a deep sense of inner vision and fulfilling that is not dependent upon changing the world around us. It's not dependent upon altering 
our outer personal worlds, is not dependent upon fulfilling some unfulfilled desire. Inner vision doesn't hold within it that sense of what we should be, what we could be, what might be. Rather, inner vision is a trust and a vision of ourselves that is, has its source in inquiry and in inner sensitivity in the present. Inner vision is not something that is achieved at some future time, but rather arises out of the sensitivity that allows us to look deeply and clearly within ourselves and to in that to really question deeply what limitation is, to really question deeply what a sense of restriction or bondage is, to really question our sense of discontent, to question dissatisfactions that arise in our lives, to see how they are created and have the confidence and the trust that they can also be transcended. Inner vision really comes out of a kind of questioning in which we ask ourselves, each one of us, that what is it in this moment, for you, for me, that prevents us from knowing a sense of inner freedom? What is it in this moment, for you, for me, that prevents us from knowing a kind of lasting happiness, inner contentment, what is it that prevents us in this moment from feeling fully clear, from actualizing that clarity in a loving, compassionate, caring life? It's not fantasies. It's questioning and trusting in that questioning that we have the capacity, the ability to fulfill our potential as a free individual. If we do go into that kind of inner sensitivity and questioning, there is in that comes a clear sense of how limitation, how bondage is created in our lives. There comes about a clear sense of how much of a sense of limitation or restriction is created because we become lost in a limited view of ourselves. How much of a sense of limitation is created because we become lost in a view that is limited to personality, to mental contents, to conditioning. And in becoming lost in that limited view of who we are as a person and our potential as a person, we also lose that sense of inner vision. If we are to have access to realizing the freedom that is accessible to us, if we are to have access to fulfilling our potential, 
then it is essential that we are able to see ourselves freshly, that we are able to see ourselves free of images, conclusions, labels. Our limited pictures of ourselves are based upon our thoughts and are based upon our belief in our thought patterns. On the basis of our thoughts, we build up images of who we are, which unless they are seen through, those images become our reality. And those images also represent the boundaries of our limitations that we accept. can see that probably at different times in our lives we hold different images of who we are as a person. Some of those Im images are very brief, temporary. We also have images that tend to be very long-standing with a long history that are based upon various feedbacks and conditioning in the past. We often build up images of ourselves, not just on the basis of what we think of ourselves, but so frequently on the basis of what other people think about us. Unless one is very confident, very accepting inwardly, we do at times in our lives tend to measure ourselves by the kind of feedback that we receive from the world. We tend to measure our worthiness, our adequacy, our potential by the negative or the positive feedback that we receive from other people. And when we look in our culture, a person is rarely accepted on the basis of who they are. It is much more a common occurrence in our culture, our society, that a person is judged and measured and evaluated not on the basis of who they are as a person, but on the basis of what they have or on the basis of what they will become. You know those favorite starters in our conversation? What do you do? You know, what is your education? the light that sparks up in other people's eyes if one has a few letters after the name. Then it is not just done to us how often we find ourselves measuring or judging another person on the basis of what they present, their appearance, their attributes, their accumulations, or their potential to become something. And in times of vulnerability, in times of sensitivity, we tend to internalize the feedback that we receive from others. And it then becomes the standards or the measures by which we judge and evaluate our own worthiness as a person, our own adequacy as a person. And on the basis of that, we often create our images and our limitations. What often is internalized within ourselves is expectation. 
the expectations of other people, <clears throat> what they want from us, what they desire from us, the expectations of ourselves, what we should be, what is acceptable, what we must be in order to gain the kind of feedback that we desire. And then achievement becomes very important in our lives because our lives do become filled with should-be's, what we should be as a person. And out of that is born an inner climate of striving, striving to meet up to both external and internalized expectations. And with that striving comes also a certain amount of demands that are placed upon ourselves. Demands to meet up to certain expectations. Demands to be a particular kind of person. And of course, when there is a level of expectation within ourselves, then there is also rejection. There is also suppression of anything that arises within ourselves that doesn't meet up or conform to the images that we hold of what we should be. In that kind of measuring our worth by our ability to achieve or meet up to expectations, we clearly lose a deep sense of inner vision. We find ourselves in bondage to the expectations we have created. We find ourselves in bondage to the projections of others. We find ourselves in bondage to our own demands and images. And we can become so lost in becoming, in trying to become this or trying to become that, that it becomes really very difficult just to be. Really just very difficult just to be who we are. And to accept that and to find in that the sense of fulfillment and richness. It becomes at times very difficult just to be and to perceive the freedom that there is in just being. Our limited pictures of ourselves, though, is obviously not only based on the kind of feedback that we receive from other people. Our limited pictures of ourselves arise very much when we become, as an individual, lost within the field of personality, of mental contents, of conditioning. On the basis of those three areas, we build up and accept certain conclusions about ourselves, which become our identities. If we look at ourselves only on a superficial level, then what is presented to us is personality, is the contents of the mind, is conditioning. And we often see what is presented to us as being the entire truth of who we are as a person. Unless there is a deep level of inquiry, 
it is quite difficult to see anything more than superficiality. And on the basis of what is presented, we draw conclusions about ourselves. At times we may think that we know who we are, but at times what we actually know are our labels and our judgments about who we are. For example, we may look within ourselves, perhaps only superficially, and we have a great tendency, of course, to focus on the negative in any case. We may see different characteristics such as greed, such as anger, such as jealousy arising within the mind. And if we identify with all of that that arises, that presents itself, then we very much see ourselves as being the owner of those characteristics and then define ourselves by them. We use such statements to describe ourselves as saying, I, I am an angry person, I am a greedy person, I am a negative person. We may see different personality characteristics at different times in our lives. We may see that at times we're very defensive. We may see that at times we're a person who is very open or communicates easily. We may see ourselves as being inferior or superior. And we may also feel ourselves to be non-separate from those personality characteristics. And so define and describe ourselves by them. Whenever you sit quietly within yourselves, you see different things arising in the mind. You may see scatteredness, you may see fragmentation, you may see different thoughts and images seemingly doing their own independent dance within the mind. And if we identify with all of that activity, then we also define ourselves by the contents of our minds. And in those definitions, those definitions, what we are actually creating is an image, an identity. And each time we have an image, an identity, which is based upon a definition or a description, then we also have a limitation. We tend, unless there is a very deep level of inquiry of inner stillness, we tend to see this sense of I, this sense of self, as something which is very substantial, as something which is very real. Obviously we become very offended, hurt, depending on the kind of feedback that the sense of I gets, dependent on what arises within ourselves. We tend to believe in our definitions. We tend to believe in our descriptions and in that we also believe in our limitations. We don't always see that this sense of reality, this sense of substantiality that this I has, is dependent, totally dependent, on that identification with these different attributes, qualities and descriptions that arise. We don't always see that this sense of I is absolutely nothing on its own 
We don't always see that our sense of being an owner of this or that quality is totally dependent upon that identification. We don't always see that our belief systems and therefore our limitations are also dependent upon that identification. And it's not a question for any of us that freedom is dependent upon substituting one characteristic for another. It's not true for any of us that inner freedom is dependent upon changing the qualities of our mind or erasing the conditioning that arises. It is true that freedom is in non-identification. We become what we identify with. We become angry, we become aggressive, we become defensive. We become worthless, we become inadequate. We also, in that becoming, lose a vision of what our potential is as an individual. So enmeshed can we become in our believing and all of that, that there at times there isn't even the trust or the faith to really ask ourselves, is this all that we are? Is it all that we are, the contents of our minds? Is it all that we are, the conditioning that at times has been thrust or imposed upon us? Is it all that we are, these personality characteristics? What takes place when we see ourselves on a superficial level is that the very contents of the mind or the personality characteristics or the conditioning that seems to be a problem or that is labeled as being problematic becomes exaggerated in importance. It becomes exaggerated in importance but because we see things coming up within ourselves that we don't want, that we don't like, that we want to be rid of, and out of that comes a rejection of them, a sense of dislike, a sense of wanting to be, to avoid them. They become exaggerated in importance because of the reality that we give them. Because we say this is what I am, therefore I judge myself on the basis of it become exaggerated in importance because we label them as being problematic. And when you look within yourself, if you label something as being problematic, there is a tendency to dwell upon it. There's a tendency to repeatedly go over it, to think about it, to try and avoid it, to try and get rid of it. The more that you dwell upon anything within the mind that you label problematic, is also degree, the degree that the consciousness, the sense of space within ourselves, becomes constricted and narrow. The dwelling creates a sense of smallness within ourselves. And when the consciousness does become constricted and narrow, then of course the problem appears increasingly large. And we find ourselves either reacting to things that come up within ourselves 
or else feeling totally overwhelmed by them. We feel overwhelmed by our reactions. Or we find ourselves measuring and judging ourselves on the basis of the absence or presence of particular tendencies that we want to get rid of or get. As long as we are caught up in that dwelling, that avoiding, then we equally get caught up in a kind of belief that it is necessary to change ourselves. That freedom or happiness is in some way dependent on being able to modify who we are. And of course we have pictures of what we change into. And in spirituality that this is so common that people have images of what they should be. We build up the the belief in the necessity to change ourselves to become more giving, more loving, more caring. We build up the belief in the necessity to be less of this and less of that and less of the other. But being enmeshed in that idea that it is somehow necessary to change who we are as a person in order to be free tends to reinforce the belief that personality, that mental contents, that conditioning is the reality of who we are. Now meditation, meditation is not really very concerned at all with one's history. Neither is meditation, these kind of meditation that we're engaged in here, concerned with manufacturing a kind of endless series of identical Vipassana products. (laughs) Neither is meditation concerned with you really becoming very enmeshed and getting rid of this or that. Rather than meditation we are involved in here, the emphasis is really much more concerned with questioning our belief systems about ourselves, with questioning the sense of limitation that we might have, with questioning the sense of restriction or bondage we have. The meditation is not concerned so much with past, not so much with future, but really with really going deeply within oneself, really asking what it is in this moment that prevents you, that prevents me, from knowing a sense of inner freedom. The mind states we're experiencing now, the feelings that we're experiencing now, are not imposed upon us. They arise within, with awareness, the relationship to them changes. Meditation is really concerned with questioning as to whether we really are the owners or need to be the owners of all of this. It is not so much that one's conditioning or one's personality is somehow going to be erased, but rather that one's relationship to it can dramatically alter that the impact, the power of conditioning, of personality, of mentality can be neutralized in awareness. 
deeper levels of questioning, deeper levels of meditation and inquiry do mean that there is a sense of stillness inwardly. Now that doesn't mean, please, that there is no thoughts coming. One becomes really tired of this endeavor to somehow chase thoughts out of the building. The thought is not a problem. The arising of thoughts is no problem meditation. If we really wanted to make your minds quiet, we could do it much more efficiently by setting up a little surgery that did lobotomies. <laughs> your thoughts are all right. The thoughts will come and go, but it's quite conceivable in the midst of those thoughts to know a deep sense of inner stillness. And that sense of inner stillness comes when one is simply not feeding any energy whatsoever into the thought process. They come, they go. One notices, one sits, there's different sounds around oneself, there's an awareness of other people around. One doesn't necessarily find oneself saying, be quiet birds, you know, stop wind, you know, stop cars, the road should be blocked. There's a certain level of acceptance that goes on to a certain amount of input that we often find it difficult to have that same relationship to the thought processes. They just come and go. And these not necessarily to take them so personally as being such an obstacle. When there's not that feeding of energy into thought processes, either with reaction or with indulgence, they tend to have very little impact. And there isn't that a deep sense of inner stillness. And in that inner stillness there also can be a real clear sense of experiencing just this sense of I coming and going and seeing the insubstantiality of it. Seeing that it is absolutely nothing on its own. That the I becomes something when we identify with something, with a thought, with a feeling, with a memory, with an image. Then I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm uh, judgmental, I'm negative, I'm aggressive, I'm bored, whatever. I become something. I gains an identity in propping up itself up with something. But there is no clear sense of I on its own. It is quite neutral. It's not even something to get rid of. And it is quite neutral. What really needs to be looked at is that point where it does become something, where I become something. Because it is at that point that I also assume a limitation or a belief system about myself. And just as a host needs a guest, or a guest needs a host, or a teacher needs a student, and a student needs a teacher for each role to have any validity whatsoever, the sense of I also needs something. Now, a, a, a sense of limitation, or a sense of restriction, or bondage in our lives is not an abiding state of existence. It's not like there's a load of people here who are in bondage, who are limited, and somewhere else there's another load of people who, who are out of bondage and who are free. Bondage is a, is a state of consciousness. Limitation and restriction is a state of consciousness, a state of mind that arises within ourselves when we grab hold of something and make a reality out of it. 
Now, traditionally, the message that is transmitted is that somehow you and I are going to go from some state of limitation and ignorance and bondage, and we're going to struggle and strive and gradually work ourselves out of that till at some point in our lives there's going to be a big flash and we're going to be able to say, I'm free. But I feel one needs to reverse that way of seeing. Is it really that one is not free already? Is it really that one doesn't have the potential to know a sense of freedom now? So simply dropping the belief systems, dropping the limitations, And in that, holding a deep sense, a vision of what our potential is as an individual. That each one of us has the potential to be fully free within ourselves. That each one of us has the potential to know the end of conflict, the end of suffering. That each one of us has the potential to live a loving, caring, compassionate life. May all beings be free from limitation. May all beings be free from identification. May all beings deep sense of inner vision. <laughs>